Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message of time and space and history. This is now we are introduced to what God's ultimate intentions were from the very beginning of time. So read with me in, uh, follow along with me in chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What an incredible passage, right? I mean, this is what we're all looking forward to. This is what we've all been waiting for. In fact, this is the seventh statement or the seventh final imageries of the last days or the end of time and the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. Turn with me for one moment. Go back to chapter 19. Let me show you what I mean. Throughout this section, you see this phrase, then I saw, then I saw. And they introduce these final seven Uh, events that will transpire that will bring us to the new heavens and the new earth. So if you look at chapter 19, verse 11, then I saw opened and behold a white horse. And in verses 11 through 16, we're introduced to the return of Messiah. So what he sees in verse 11 and through verse 16 is the second coming of our Lord. The second thing he tells us he sees in verse 12, then I saw an angel Standing in the sun with a loud voice, he called to the birds. Now in verses 17 through the end of this chapter, we have the second stage or the second event, which is the judgment of the nations. 
because of their mistreatment of the Jewish people and their rebellion against God. The third episode, the third event we see is in chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. And in verses 1 to 3, we are then introduced to the binding of the evil one that brings to a demise, not an end, but it then brings to a demise or reducing of the effects of sin and certainly the evil one's activities at that time. So, so far we've seen three things. The return of the Lord, the judgment of the nations, and now the binding of the evil one. Then if you look at verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge were commanded. And so in verses 4 through 6, we have the fourth thing that John has shown, and that is the messianic kingdom, the messianic age. Thrones are set up, judgment ensues, and then the kingdom commences. Then if you look at verse 7, And when the thousand years were ended, Satan was released. And so in verses 7 through 10, we have a sixth, or I should say a fifth uh, event, which is the loosening of the evil one, so that the demonstration of humanity's rebelliousness and the power of sin is once more for a final demonstration of its power and influence over us. And then finally, in verse 11, then I saw a great white throne. And so the sixth event that John sees is the final judgment at the great white throne judgment of the lost. And then the seventh moment or the seventh event he sees is what we're looking at. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So these are the final seven stages of last events. These are the final events that lead us up to the climax of all of history and all of God's intentions, the new heavens and the new earth. What's also interesting is that in the Hebrew scriptures, the prophets never speak of the new heavens and the new earth. When Isaiah speaks, uses the phrase new heaven and new earth in Isaiah 66, he's referring to the messianic age. But what the prophets, excuse me, what the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures present are promises regarding the messianic kingdom. The only information, and there's all kinds of information given by the prophets regarding the Messianic Age. In the New Covenant Scriptures, you don't read much about the Messianic Age at all. In fact, the only thing you read about the Messianic Age in the New Covenant Scriptures is found here in Revelation chapter 20. And the one new thing we learn about the Messianic Kingdom is that it will last for a thousand years. Other than that, everything we know about the Messianic Kingdom is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. Conversely, nothing is told to us in the Hebrew Scriptures about the new heavens and the new earth. Everything about the new heavens and the new earth is found in the Brit HaDashah or the New Covenant Scriptures in Revelation 21 and 22, which is what we're looking at. What's also interesting is that in all of God's Word, only two chapters, are we are told something about the new heavens and the new earth. Only a few verses were told of the duration of the Messianic kingdom, a thousand years. But over and over again, the warning goes out to those who would not avail themselves of God's grace, of the judgment of God at the end of time as well. And thus, the scriptures, believe this or not, but the scriptures speak more of the judgment that comes at the end of time than it does speak about the new heavens and the new earth or even of the Messianic kingdom. 
And that's because there's a real judgment to be faced, but there's also a real gift of salvation that is offered. So now when we look at chapter 21, verse 1, notice first of all, what John sees is a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. So notice, first of all, the new heaven and new earth is not a restructuring, a reordering of the old earth or the new earth, or the old earth or the old heavens. It's a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth has passed away. And what's interesting about this word new, there's a variety of words translated new in the Greek text. But this word for new is a unique word, which means fresh. In other words, it's not just another thing that's different from what preceded it. It's a whole new fresh thing that has never been done before. This is a fresh revelation of God, a fresh doing of God, a fresh fresh creating of God that he had not done before. Now, when John sees this new heaven and new earth, he uses language that we understand in the old heaven and the old earth. Why is that? Because the new heaven and the new earth will still resemble something of the old heaven and the old earth. I think it's much like you and I. Because one day, this corruptible will put on incorruption. This perishable will put on imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. And while we will be dramatically changed from what we are now to glorious beings that will be uh, fully glorified when we stand before the Lord. Nevertheless, we will still be recognizable with respect to who we are. Because you remember on the Mount of the Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John were with Yeshua on the Mount of the Transfiguration, they were able to recognize Moses and Elijah who were with them. And they were glorified at that point in time. Similarly, when we are glorified, we will still resemble, to whatever degree, who we are. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know if I want to look like what I look like. I don't know if I want to resemble this. God's got it under control. You will like what you will be like. You know, we will like ourselves, even though we will resemble what we have been. We'll be recognizable for who we are, yet without sin and with the full glorification. The new heavens and the new earth, I think, is like that. It resembles the old heavens and the old earth, but it's brand new, but yet yet not totally dissimilar. And so we're told, look at verse 1, that there's a new heaven and a new earth because what was has passed away. It no longer is. And then he says, to me, somewhat ominous, and the sea was no more. If you like the beach, not just the beach, but the ocean, the water, if you like to surf, if you like to sail, you know, at first I used to say, well, get it all in now because when the new heavens and new earth comes, there's no more sea. But then I read a little further in the book of Revelation and notice what Messiah says. He tells us that he will enable us to drink out of the fountain of the water of life. So there'll be some water. And if you look at chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river, the river of the water of life. And so there will be rivers. There will be bodies of water, though the sea will no longer be. 
It's hard to understand exactly what he means by see. Various commentators understand it in different ways. I suspect that perhaps we will not have this body of salt water, perhaps, the sea, but rather there'll still be expanses of water that will be fresh water that will uh, be layered over the earth. I think, what do they say, like 75, 80% of the, of the earth is water? Well, now things are going to be turned around. Perhaps we won't have a world dominated by water, but a world dominated by land, but yet with water of some sort. So we may not know exactly what he means when he says he no longer was there any sea, but he does see a river of life that flows out of the very temple of God, and we'll get to it when we get to chapter 22. But notice what else he tells us. Then he saw, as he's looking at the new heavens and the new earth, he then saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. So in heaven is the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem on earth is modeled after the city of Jerusalem that's in heaven. And the temple and tabernacle that were on the earth were modeled after the temple and tabernacle that is in heaven. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Messiah, when he gave of himself, he actually, it actually says he presented his blood in the Holy of Holies in the temple of heaven. And so every year as we get ready for Yom Kippur, every year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, it was a mimicking, a modeling of what Messiah himself would one day do and has already done from our perspective in that when he died, he sprinkled his blood in the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies in order to provide salvation and redemption and atonement for the whole world. And that's because the temple in heaven is the temple upon, from which the temple on earth was modeled. And so now John sees the city of Jerusalem, I mean, this must have been mind-boggling, the city of Jerusalem descending from heaven. And it had to look glorious because he said the only thing, he doesn't say this, but I'll put these words in his mouth, the only way I can compare it is to say it was like the beauty of a bride that is adorned for her husband. And you all know what that's like. I mean, we've been to weddings, right? And when the bride walks in, everybody stands, looks back, and you know what everyone says, my, doesn't she look beautiful? They've never said that about me when I've officiated at a, at a wedding, and I've come out, and I'm there already. No one says, wow, isn't he handsome, you know? But they do say of the bride when she comes in, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she wonderful? Look at her. She looks great. And so John is saying, when the city of Jerusalem came down, she looked great. It was amazing how beautiful and how splendid and wonderful this appeared to him. And then he goes on to say, as the city of Jerusalem comes down, and I love this, prepared as a bride adored. In other words, the city of Jerusalem coming down is for you. See, some people have tried to interpret this spiritually. Oh, this is the church. This is the ecclesia because in Scripture, she is referred to as the bride of Messiah. And here, the new Jerusalem is seen as a like a bride. But it's not the bride. It's the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem is being prepared for you and for me and for everyone else who's been a believer in the Lord from the beginning of time and everyone else who will be a believer in the Lord from this time forward. 
It's prepare, you know, and Yeshua told us this, didn't he? John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. So you've always been wondering, I've been wondering, what is it he's been preparing for you? Now we know, the city of Jerusalem. And in that city are many mansions. And if it were not so, he wouldn't have told us. But he did tell us. And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Revelation 19. And I will bring you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And so the city of Jerusalem is coming down for you and for me. And it is wonderfully adorned because Messiah has, all, has had all of these 2,000 years so far to prepare it. And he's prepared for you a place in Jerusalem of great dwelling. And so he goes on to say that he then hears a voice. Twice he will say this, verse 3, and I heard a loud voice. And then he will say it again in verse 9, and he who was seated on the throne said. Now the first thing he hears in verse 3, a loud voice from the throne. Now the only one that could be speaking from the throne is God. But now if you look down in verse 9, the one who is speaking to him is Messiah. Because in verse, excuse me, I said verse 9, that was my... I was looking at it wrong. It's verse 6. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? You go to Revelation chapter 1, and Messiah says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So the voice that he's hearing from the throne is, from the, is the voice of Messiah himself seated on the throne. And as he speaks, he says, behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. Now, when he says the dwelling place, he uses the word, John uses the word tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is with men. Now, it's very very interesting and significant because the Lord tabernacled in the wilderness with the Jewish people for 40 years. And in the wilderness, they constructed the tabernacle where God would meet with them when they would worship him. And later the tabernacle, which was moved throughout the wilderness, was brought into the land of promise and set up at Shechem. And then once David had purchased the uh, threshing floor of Aruna the Hittite outside the walls of Jerusalem, he then was, they then were able to move the tabernacle to the uh, threshing floor of Aruna the Hittite. And then once Solomon came, and built the temple, there was no longer a need for the tabernacle, and the temple became the permanent structure where the Lord was worshipped. And in that sense, the tabernacle morphed into the temple. So here now it says that the very presence of God, behold, the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle of God that the tabernacle was modeled after, the temple was modeled after, is now dwelling in the very presence of God. In other words, God himself is now dwelling in the midst of his people once again. That's why in the book of Zechariah, we're told during the Messianic kingdom, this is the new heaven and the new earth, but during the Messianic kingdoms, there'll be the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles once again. Everyone in the world will come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord in the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of the seven great festivals in Leviticus chapter 23, signified the dwelling presence of God with humanity. And now with the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem descends. The Lord is present in his temple in the city of Jerusalem. And he's now dwelling among humanity. He is here, not there. He is among us, 
not over there. He is with us. And so in verse 3, he says, He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Notice in this phrase, three times God has made reference to. And the one verse says the same thing three different ways. The Lord dwells among his people and his people will be his people. That's what he keeps saying. Look at this again. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, mankind, humanity, men and women, boys and girls. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and they will be their, and he will be their God. I mean, it's like John can't say it enough ways to say God's dwelling with us is because we belong to him and he belongs to us. We are his people. He is our God. He is our God. We are his people. We are connected to him. We belong to him. That's why, and I've said over and over again, the most important phrase in all the New Testament is the little phrase, in Messiah. Paul uses it over and over again. It's not just we believe about Messiah. We believe what Messiah had done. We trust in what he did. We are in him. All of that may be true, but we are in him. We are connected to him. He dwells with us. He in us, right? The spirit of God, spirit of Messiah dwells within us. And now we see how it comes to the fullest manifestation of that indwelling presence. He indwells us, he dwells with us, and we with him. And so the new heavens and the new earth is new on a, lot of le- a number of levels. It's all brand new. It's all fresh. There's no sin, no seas. Perhaps it has some relevance to that. There's no sin. The Lord is present. The new Jerusalem has descended. The heavenly Jerusalem has descended. Paul tells us the heavenly Jerusalem is the mother of us all. Our salvation originates in heaven. It starts with him. We believe in him because he chose us. We love him because he first loved us. And so the Jerusalem that is above is preeminent. And therefore, it manifests the salvation that God has provided through us through Messiah for the blood of Messiah is in the heavenly temple. And as it, the city, comes down, it is prepared for you and I. And as it is prepared for you and I, it's prepared for us so that we can dwell with God. We shall see him, John tells us, even as he is. And there'll be a whole new, fresh relationship with the Lord. Only one that is full, which we now only approximate. And only sometimes in our experience. But in that day, every day, every moment, every second, will be an indwelling presence, a dwelling with the Lord in the fullest experience of it that is possible for finite, saved individuals like ourselves. And he goes on to say, this, the voice of the Lord says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, uh, for the former things have passed away. You know what this passage is telling us? that the new heavens and the new earth is a place of nose. It's a place of nose. You know, look what he says. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain of any kind. There'll be no more former things which have passed away. All of those things are dispelled from us. All of those things that harm us, that hurt us, that cause anxiety and depression and weakness, all of those things are gone. 
the place of the new heaven and the new earth is a place of no moreness of what we have known. And it's only yesness to the wonders and splendors that are yet to be experienced. All the writers that are ever brought into the very presence of God speak of his presence that way. You know, Paul says he was caught up to the third heavens. Was I in the body, out of the body? I don't know. What did I see? I can't even begin to describe. John tells us, I heard a voice like the sound of. I saw images that were like this. But I can't find the words in my vocabulary to describe precisely and accurately what I am seeing. But what I'm seeing is pretty amazing. But what will be, will be even far greater than what John might say I've ever written. And so this is a place where there's no more of anything that has been an impediment to our relationship to the Lord or an impediment to our enjoyment of creation. And so he says in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne, this is Messiah, the Alpha and the Omega, he says three things to him. Number one, I am making all things new. I'm creating all things new. There's a whole new creation going on. I am making it all new. I love the present tense. He didn't say, I've made all things new. He's still working. Until we get there, it won't be complete. And even when we get there, God's still doing stuff. He's the infinite God, so he never runs out of things to do. He's the infinite God, so he never runs out of creative options. All things are an open door for him. In fact, he creates all the doors that might be opened. And so the Lord continues to make all things new and fresh and with vitality and life. Second thing he tells him is write this down. Maybe three times now he has told John to make sure that you're writing these things down. One time he tells him don't write. You remember when he hears the seven thunders? He says don't write that. He said, I was about to write it because John is very obedient. He said, right, I'm writing everything. And then the Lord says, don't write that. So, okay, I won't write that. And then the Lord says, write this though, but write this. And so he told him, write what you have seen. Revelation chapter one, the glorious manifestation of Messiah. Write the things that are, the letters to the seven congregations in chapters two and three. Write the things that will be. And the things that will be is from chapters 4 through the very end. And now once more he says to him, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And so he said to me, it is done. This is the very same phrase that he said from the cross. It is finished. And so what, what are we being told here? Back in the good news accounts, the gospels, what he had finished was his redemptive purpose. He provided salvation for sin. But now at the end of time, he has now brought in the new heavens and the new earth, which is what the goal was from the very beginning. It's almost like we've gone in a circle. Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Why did he, and man and woman in his image. Why? So that we would dwell with him and enjoy him forever. And that we would enjoy the creation that God has made for us. Because we introduce sin into that which God has provided for us. It has plunged our world into a state of alienation from God and therefore God doesn't dwell with us and therefore we don't enjoy his creation as we ought. The Lord then sets in motion a, a means of redemption 
so that we can be reunited to the one we were alienated from and that one day we will enjoy the new heavens and the new earth, the creation that God had intended us to enjoy from the very beginning. But now he's going to do something altogether new and fresh. So in a way, what we see is in Genesis 1, 2, 3, we have paradise that's lost, as John Milton wrote. Paradise that's lost. But when you get to Revelation 21 and 22, we have paradise regained. God has re-established the paradise that he had initially made and then some. For it's new, new heaven, and a new earth. And so he says, it is finished. And all that was intended for this world, as we have it, as we know it, comes to a crescendo, comes to a climax, comes to an end. And the new heavens and the new earth are established. He then makes this invitation. Earlier, Yeshua said, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my burden is light. And I give rest to your souls. Here now he says a similar thing. He says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's free. All you have to do is drink. All you have to do is come and plunge yourself into the water of life. As we saw in Genesis, Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, this water of life is a river. So you don't just think a little fountain here. Hey, get, get out of the way. I got to get into the fountain. No, no, this is a river. You know, that everyone can get to. Nobody gets left out. Everybody gets it. And all you need to do is come to the river and you'll receive the water of life. And so he says, I will give from the spring of life without payment. And, and the one who conquers will have this heritage. What he means by conquering means to have the courage to come and partake of the water. That's how you conquer. You know, you don't conquer by obeying the law. You don't conquer by being perfect, by being blameless, by being without sin. You conquer by coming to know Yeshua as Messiah and trusting in him by faith. For it's by grace we are saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And so that's why it's without payment. And that's how you conquer. And look at this phrase. I will be his God. He will be my son. You know, that phrase is taken right out of God's covenant with David. You can see it in, I think it's 2 Samuel chapter 17. And in 2 uh, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, you'll see that God makes a promise to David. When he concludes the promise to David, you'll always have a son to sit on the throne. He says that um, he has this exact, this exact phrase, I will be his God, he will be my son. It's almost like God is saying, the covenant that I made with David is as sure and certain for him and now the covenant I'm making with you is as sure and, and certain for you as well. We enter into this covenantal bond, this relationship with the Lord. Now, just before we close, we're, we're right there. Let me just mention two last things. I want you to notice this in verse three. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. God himself will be with them. I couldn't help but think about this. Isaiah seven fourteen, right? Where it says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Im with 
Anu, us, El is God. With us is God. We don't say it that way in English. We say God with us. But with us is God. Isn't that what he's saying here? And God will dwell with them. Throughout the entire Brit Hanashah, Messiah nowhere is ever called Emmanuel. I mean, he could have been. He never was. That doesn't mean that, I, that's not what Isaiah means. He doesn't say he'll be named Emmanuel. He'll be called Emmanuel. He will fulfill God being with us. He will enable God to be with us. That's what Isaiah is saying. But nowhere is he ever spoken of with the name God with us. Now you come to Revelation chapter 21. For the first time, you have a relevance to that passage. Where the name in that passage, Emmanuel, God with us. And now here in Revelation chapter 21, it says God dwells with us. And in fact, there are some manuscripts that have it written God with us dwells. I can't help but think some of those manuscripts were thinking of Isaiah 7:14, because now God is dwelling with us in fullness and in glory. One last thing to think about. I said God is creating new heavens and a new earth, and he has Jerusalem come down from heaven prepared for us. Everything in this passage, and chapter 22 as well, is all about what God is doing for us. Now think about this. In the book of Revelation, it says that he places a new name on us. He gives us all, at the time of the new heavens and new earth, a new name. We've already talked about that, but I just want you to think about the new things that the book of Revelation points out. It points out that we will have a new name. Scripture, book of Revelation also says, not only will he put upon us a new name, he will put within us a new song. It says they sing the song of the Lamb, the song of Moses, and then it says and they sang a new song to the Lord. So he puts upon us, I say upon, I don't know if that's right or not, but he gives us a new name. He places within our hearts a new song. He puts over our head a new heaven. He puts under our feet a new earth. And then he places before us for the rest of eternity newness of revelations that the Lord has yet to make known to us. Everything new, everything fresh, everything wonderful. There will be some who will reject it. He says that at the end of this passage, doesn't he? But we don't have to be among those that reject it. We can be among those that receive it. So why don't we receive it? Some might say they doubt his power, yet the scripture here says he makes all things new, right? I make all things new. Some would doubt his real concern for us, but it says he invites us to drink out of the water of life which flows out of a river from the very temple of God. Some might think that he's truly not the Messiah. He says, well, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Some might think that we really don't have a need for it. We all have a need for it. And not only do we have a need for it, we have a longing for it. There's something about reading this passage that says, this is something I want. You don't have to believe anything. You hear it and you say, I would just hope that would be true. Why do they hope that would be true? Because in the final analysis, it's what everybody wants. And why is it that everybody wants it? It's because everyone needs it. 
It's like food. All of us want it. Why? Because we all need it. It's like love. Why do we all want it? Because we all need it. Why is it that we all desire to work and have purpose in our lives? Because we all need purpose in order to feel worthwhile. The reason we want anything is because somewhere in the wanting, there's a need. And the reason there's a need is because God has created us for himself. And all of these wants, which are in reality needs, ultimately is him. Because all of those things are only temporarily provided here and now, but are eternally and forever provided in him. We want love. The Lord says, I love you. Uh, we love him because he first loved us. We want purpose. I have work for you to do. You're my servant. I'll give you something to do that will not only honor me, but it will honor yourself. And you'll think more highly of yourself than you may have thought before because you didn't feel that there was purpose. Whatever it is, do we hunger and thirst for food? Well, deep down inside, we hunger and thirst for righteousness, which only the Lord can provide for us. The answer to it all is Yeshua the Messiah. And if we turn our hearts to him, not only will all these things that we've talked about in Revelation chapter 21 be ours, but even now in this life, we begin to taste those things a little bit, even as the Lord promises to fulfill us fully. You know, the uh, Proverbs, Solomon says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's pray. And the musicians can come on up. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to praise you. We thank you, Lord, for this marvelous word that John has written for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you might help us to rejoice in these things, to embrace them fully, and to live our life differently because ultimately we're headed for the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. We're headed, Father, to a place of eternality that will be all brand new. May we be worshiping you here and now in anticipation of that time when we will be with you in an uninterrupted manner for the rest of our lives. Father, we pray for our people Israel. May they come to realize the wonder, the majesty, the splendor of Yeshua the Messiah. Help us, Lord, to do our part in making him known to those in our community. And help all believers, churches, other congregations alike. Empower us to do your work in spreading the good news of Messiah to the ends of the earth. We bless you, Lord, and we praise you. For we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. The ushers will come. If you need one of the connection cards, just raise your hand. They'll make sure that you get one. If you've come prepared to worship the Lord in giving, this is an opportunity for you to do that. If some of you give through a mobile device, you can text your, your gift to 925-718-0020. If you'd like to visit our webpage, you can do that at BethREL.org. You can just push on the donate button. You can contribute that way. But whether you contribute or not, do remember us in your prayers. Lift us up before the Lord that he will enable us, empower us, and provide all that we need to, bring, to bringing the good news of Messiah to the lost sheep of the house. Thank you for listening to our message. 
We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.